0: Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works. I'm Sean. And I'm Jordan. Join us in
1: Season 2, where Lewis will be our guide in the Christian life, teaching us to pray and helping us to reflect through the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Lent. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of the Trouble with X. Last week's episode, we considered with Lewis the problem of what to do when everybody in our lives is getting in the way of what we want to do, when their fatal flaws are shipwrecking our plans. And we ended the episode beginning to think about what it would look like for us to be the ones to change. And so today, we'll jump back in with our guest, Joel Scandret, talking about the desire to change. And how to do so with
2: God's help. How do, we, how do we, on the one hand, accept this is what I am. This is the kind of person I am. And I do have these inclinations. And oftentimes they can be strengths as well as weaknesses, depending on the context. But do we, do we help ourselves by beating, our, beating ourselves up for not being more like somebody else, right? Rather than identifying, yeah, these are the core traits of my temperament. And this, even though I may not like it, this is the way God made me. Um, and so uh, can I, do I spend my life you know, complaining that, Lord, why did you make me thus? <laughs> Shall the pot, clay say to the potter, why did you make me thus? Right. Or do we accept this is somehow in the providence of God? This is the temperament that I've been given by God. And so, yes, I need to resist those areas of temptation that my temperament inclines me to. Um, on the other hand, I should also um, accept that there's something good and beautiful about that and and seek to honor God in that as well so that that's the only thought I had there on on that point. I don't know if y'all have thoughts
0: <laughs> uh, no that that's that's excellent, and I think um. Your your thoughts there really line up nicely with maybe the um the point where C.S. Lewis begins to pivot this essay away from the presenting issue, which is I'm in these groups of people at home or at work, and I am coming up against those unchangeable uh it, you know, you you talked about base temperament. I actually think that's even more helpful. These these base characteristics. Of a person, whether they be flaws, as as they're presented in the essay here, in the article rather, or just this is is kind of a a morally neutral way that somebody is. Um, But then he says, you know, the reality is um, that whenever there's a group of these kinds of people together in a room, um, quote, God sees one more person of the same kind, one who you never do see. I mean, of course, yourself. And he says that the next great step in wisdom is to realize that you are also just that sort of person. You also have a fatal flaw in your character. And all the hopes and plans of others have again and again been shipwrecked on your character, just as your hopes and plans have been shipwrecked on theirs. And so, so Lewis brings us into this place where finally we're into self-reflection. And, and I think you, you did take us there already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess maybe to start off our conversation on this part of the, of the essay, and, and you maybe already have, Joel, but it's just to say I observed in this paragraph, as, as Lewis gets into us becoming more, more self-reflective then, that uh, he makes this statement that he says, um, nobody, nobody is unaware of your flaws. Your flaws come out, whether you know them or not. Uh, he makes a comparison to bad breath, halitosis, which I love. Yeah. And he says, everyone knows, notices it except the person who has it. Um, and then he skips on a couple of sentences. He says, believe me, they, a.k.a. the people around you, have tried to tell you over and over again, but you just couldn't take it. And so he brings us into this place of, of uh, self-reflection. Again, kind of funny to think of the analogy of, of bad breath here, but really he's using it for all of our character flaws. People around us right. know. You know, here yeah. at the college, um, I'm sure that the people that I work with know my own shortcomings, my even verbal ticks. We 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 kind of joke with one another about the the ruts that we all get into and the things that we say over and over again, those filler words and and whatnot.
2: Right.
0: Uh, small things like that, all the way up to big things. You know, and and you talked about addictions and those kinds of flaws in yeah. our, our personality, but um, but I really feel like Lewis is is pointing to something that is. I, at least I find working with undergrads, something that we talk about a lot and that is self-awareness. Mm. Um, it is, it is impossible for us to be reconciled to how we were made as the pot. So, you know, the, as the clay, if, um if we're not aware of our strengths and, and weaknesses there, um, we may continue to kick against something that feels external, but is actually internal and, and integral, maybe even to who we are. So uh, yeah. Jordan, Joel, a- any thoughts there about self-awareness or, or the, um, being in the community of people who maybe see our flaws before we do?
1: I mean, my only thought is, uh, well, my first thought is terror. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's just embarrassment because it is, you go around thinking that you're doing all right. And then you read something like this and remember that, you know what, you might be, there's probably things that you're you're missing and everyone is aware of. And then you just want to go around and thank all your friends for being gracious to you <laughs> and, uh, and not mentioning whatever it is. But then you start thinking, like he points out, that they probably have been mentioning it to you and you just think they're just always nagging or they're just always in a bad mood. And as he's, he's writing that, all of a sudden these things start re- coming to mind about things that people in my life have been grumpy about lately <laughs> and i <laughs> and then i start going oh maybe it's me maybe they're not being grumpy maybe it's me yeah. and then you know and and so my only thought is that maybe during lent a helpful self-reflective tool is to sit down and think about all the things that people have been nagging about or grumpy about with me uh, on a consistent basis or you know the annoying things that they are always annoying me with and I'm like would you just stop bugging me about that it's fine maybe it's something that I should really take stock of and go to them and say is this like a really big issue for you is this actually something that I should pay better attention to and and change or repent of, or, you know, have I been papering over this and it's actually a bigger deal than I realize? Um, That's a scary thing for me to think about doing, but I think maybe it's, it's
2: necessary. Yeah. Well, I mentioned my family. I'm, I'm, I'm outnumbered. I have a wife and three daughters. Um, Hmm. And this has been an er- uh, something I've definitely had to come to terms with. I- I'm not a patient person. Uh, people have, I think some, <laughs> I think I give the impression that I am much more patient than I am, but um, <laughs> I-, I have a lot of passion and I blame it on the redheaded gene, there are all sorts of great ways to uh, make excuses for oneself but uh but the flip side of passion can be anger, uh, shortness of temper, impatience. and um, what I found actually is a fairly simple way of of sussing out what one's flaws are that you might not be able to see kind of the blind spot, you know that spot that the rear view mirror and side mirrors don't quite capture well enough of your own personality. It's uh, you know, if you use the driving analogy, uh, since we're using that, you know, how is it that you happen to cut somebody off without intending to, because there's the blind spot, right. Mm-hmm. Um, in a similar way in, in relationships, finding myself bewildered by my wife or daughter's reaction to my behavior, seeing that i've hurt them but not understanding why they would be hurt by it Mm -hmm. right it's kind of analogous to cutting someone off without intending to and then of course you assume the person who cut you off did it on purpose (laughs) that's the other side of the analogy but there can be a, a blindness to one's own uh failings that we only can see through how they harm the people around us um and that that I've certainly uh, come to realize in my life and uh, really just uh, I, I got I started having kids relatively late in life, so I, I have my daughters are 20, 17, and 13. and those teenagers especially were hypersensitivity and uh, a lot of emotion but but that emotion can be a good indicator of 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 something you know more kind of foundational and um and so it's forced me to take a look at that in my life and to recognize that uh, not only am i am i impatient and short-tempered when i'm under stress but um but this is something i need to really attend to (laughs) Mm. Uh, because i love my wife and my daughters right um and so since we're on the theme of lent I, at least in my experience i um i think there can be ways that we can become by the grace of god aware of these uh shortcomings uh, but oftentimes it's it's you know in retrospect having done harm uh we the, the holy spirit convicts us of it and draws it to our attention mm-hmm. hmm. -hmm. Yeah, I figure I might as well be open about this.
1: Oh yeah, since
2: talking about Lent, right? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, we have a wonderful rector at our church, uh, a senior pastor here in uh, Pittsburgh, and he's just really good at being self-disclosing. I've learned a lot from him. When he preaches on on matters of sin or or obedience, he often just is very open about his own struggles, and I think it's Hmm. remarkably effective. Well, not just effective, but important thing to do. If we as leaders, Mm. so-called, can't uh, model this kind of uh, repentance, then, then how can we expect others to?
1: heading into vulnerable and uh kind of terrifying (laughs) territory fortunately i think lewis here begins to uh notice that we're in need of some salve or balm um and he he begins to bring in the good news maybe sean do you want to tell us what that good news is
0: yeah the the good news that lewis presents here is. Is that although he is aware of your flaws, maybe not even although, because he is aware of your flaws, he is also, um, he has just a different view than you do. Um, so in spite of those faults and those sins, uh, Lewis says that he keeps on loving and he doesn't let go. Mm-hmm. And so he, he knows others and he knows ourselves, uh, Lewis says, quote, far more intimately and closely than and incessantly than we will ever and and so this this kind of intimacy from the holy spirit is is just right there i know there's a i don't know what psalm it's from even but um he knows what we are made of he knows that yeah. we are dust it might be it might be psalm 103 but but uh, that knowledge that god has of us actually fuels some of his grace that feels like an upside down thing to me where again you know i when we're really honest about how um Oh, what was the word we were using uh, recently, Jordan? Uh, miserable that we are. How, how miserable of offenders we are! It, should, it is in the title of that essay. I should probably remember it, but that um, <laughs> that it really helps. But um, but I know, um, Jordan. We were kind of we were chatting about this, um, texting about it, and you brought up Romans eight in this context.
1: Oh yeah, um, it, it's just this line where Lewis writes that both the sins of others. Uh, as well as our own sin. Uh, it grieves God's spirit more than it grieves ours. Mm. It reminded me of some things I had found when I was preparing for a sermon I preached on Romans 8 during Holy Week, probably like four or five years ago. Just doing some reading and and studying the text, I came to see that 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 passage in Romans 8 especially between verses 23 and 26, it says that it it basically, Paul is saying that our spirits groan because we have the Holy Spirit in us and his spirit is groaning. And so it's kind of this idea that you might think that you're really sad about something, that you're really upset and grieved over whatever, over sinfulness in this case, sinfulness in others and yourself, Um, but the reality is you're only upset about it because you're catching a little sense of what the Holy Spirit Mm. is um feeling. And and you're it's almost like he's inviting you into see how he sees. And when I began seeing that, I was like, oh, then then this sadness I feel over the brokenness of the world and other people and myself it still feels sad but it's like this um i started thinking of it as like supernatural sadness mm. where it's more an invitation to intimacy with god and intercession to pray uh, that god would in- invite me into his heart to feel with him what he feels and mm. um and and that's the same text that then you know talks about praying in the spirit when we don't know what to pray for um because the spirit knows the mind of god and and searches and so um yeah just this idea that actually god's spirit is more grieved than ours mm-hmm. and and remembering because it's easy when we see other people's sins to get indignant and think that god's not doing anything mm-hmm. but realizing that actually he's way more aware of their sin than we are and and probably our anger and grief over it
2: is only a fraction
1: of what he feels.
2: That's good. I, I think uh, the, the other temptation here is to kind of get stuck in lamentation over our mm. um, failures. So we become mindful of the ways in which we fall short of, of God's glory, of, of Christ like character. But there can be a kind of a refusal almost, I think, uh, sometimes it can border on refusal to actually then turn and receive the grace of God in a way that while we, we're cognizant of our of our failures and the need to, to change, we're not... Um, stuck in a place of kind of morbid self, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, self-flagellation, self self-punishment. Um, mm. You know, there can be a kind of idolatrous perfectionism, spiritual perfectionism that feels like uh, I, I just need to beat up. my. If I don't beat up on myself to the point of excess, then somehow... I don't deserve the grace of God or mm-hmm. or God's forgiveness. Um, in, in other words, by the same token that we were learning to extend and see how God loves the other, also finding that that's necessary for ourselves. Um, does mm. that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and if I can even add there, as, as somebody who grew up in a, you know, a, a quote, low church context and has just really through the study of church history come to very much appreciate the liturgical calendar. I almost wonder if that's part of the wisdom and grace in that, um, you know, like you, as you described Lent to us in the last episode, um, it is a joining with Jesus in an imitation of his 40 days in the wilderness, but that it's only 40 days. That's you right. Know, the, the, the church has, you know, the ancient church uh, kind of developed three great fasts that were that were forty days in length. We we typically think of of um, Lent in that regard, but this Lenten season, how or whatever it is, it actually has an end. And not only that, Jordan brought this up in in one of our other episodes as well as we were looking forward to Lent, is that still Sunday every Sunday is a feast day. We don't fast yeah, on on, right. on those days. That um, there is a place for the self-examination, but to avoid getting trapped, to, to avoid the temptation to turn. Um, uh, you you use the term self-flagellation, which I love, but that, that overly ascetic, overly penitent um, spirituality right. and, and let that creep out into everything. Well, this is actually a contained season that ends
2: with celebration. Yeah, and it ends by being nailed to the cross, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, cru- the crucifixion of our sinful flesh is... Is, by virtue of our union with Christ is achieved on the cross. It's nailed to the cross. And so there's a, there's a sense in which, yes, we're right to recognize our sin. Yes, we're right to repent of it. Yes, we're right to grieve it. But then we're also right to give it to the Lord who took mm-hmm. it upon himself for our sake on Good Friday. And that's, that's really the culmination of Lent is Good Friday. Um, And then we move into resurrection life. So just echoing what you said, uh, Sean, that's just, Mm. I think that's exactly right. But I grew up not Pentecostal, but in a holiness tradition. I was raised Wesleyan holiness. Mm. And I think sometimes, I don't know about uh, in the Pentecost, I can't speak for Pentecostalism, but I certainly in the holiness tradition I was raised in, there can be this kind of morbid Kind of degree of perfectionism and self punishment that doesn't isn't able to really receive mm. the forgiveness of God, mm. even maybe even to grant it to others, but not accept it for oneself. And there can and, and, and it can be a real place of spiritual uh, p- paralysis, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. So that leads into kind of the last thing that Lewis says, and maybe a really helpful caution about the last thing Lewis says, which I kind of had some question marks by and I wanted to ask you about because um, Lewis ends this essay and I kept checking because it, the essay feels a little bit like a sermon. Uh, He ends with some practical Lewis, some good news and some practical, what should we do? Uh, I think his, I think his answer to what should we do falls into three points. So he's got a nice three point, sermon ender um he says we should love x more uh the second thing is we should see ourselves as the same kind of trouble as x we're the same we're in the same boat as them and then he says well if that doesn't seem i think in today's culture if he was writing he would say if that doesn't seem very uh uh politically correct to think low of yourself or to you know not Think with great self-esteem. Uh, <laughs> things s- seems morbid to think of your own faults. You know, he says, it, it would all be very well if most of us could stop thinking of our own faults without soon beginning to think of those of other people. Unfortunately, we enjoy thinking about other people's faults, and so he suggests the third thing we should do is fast for from thinking about other people's faults and replace with thinking about our own faults because they're the only faults that we actually have the responsibility to do anything about. And they're the only faults that we uh, can do anything about. And he says, every day you put it off makes it harder to start. But um, which seems Mm. fine enough if we just leave it there, but then he ends with um, something which I think is, is mostly good and felt very powerful, but I did have some questions about it theologically because it, it has to do with hell. Mm -hmm. Right. But I guess because Lent is a good time to reflect on the seriousness of sin and um, the grievousness of it, um, it it is also maybe an appropriate time to reflect on where sin leads and to think of hell. Um, But, for me, I've actually just had a number of young people in my life lately asking questions about hell and what hell is, and if we've if we understand it right. Hmm. And I'm not sure why this is, and I think it might be a trickle down effect from uh, the last couple of years of people like Rob Bell and David Bentley Hart. Um, you know these young people I'm talking to don't know who those people are, but <laughs> I think the the influence of them has uh, trickled down into popular imagination and um but Lewis, I know also has contributed a fair amount to at least like the imaginative he writes imaginative supposals of hell, and he's clear about that and so I'm not going to ask you to to comment on all of Lewis's writings on hell. <laughs> you know, there's some good I stuff see. in in the Great Divorce, but at least in this paragraph, I wonder what you would say uh, his evaluation description of what hell is. Is it a fair way to think about hell or um, the the seriousness of the effect on us? I'll just read it um, for sure. the sake of the listener who hasn't maybe listened. Yeah. So Lewis says. And this reminds, this line reminds me of the great divorce, especially, that not even God with all his power can make X really happy as long as X remains envious, self-centered and spiteful. Then he says, be sure there is something inside you, which unless it is altered, will put it out of God's power to prevent your being eternally miserable. While that something remains, there can be no heaven for you just as there can be no sweet smells for a man with a cold in the nose and no music for a man who is deaf. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing up which will of itself be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. The matter is serious. Let us put ourselves into his hands at once this very day, this very hour. Mm. Does, he, does he fit into...
2: The Christian tradition.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, so Lewis here is talking about, uh, cert- first of all, um, there these three terms, envy, self-centeredness, or what we might call pride, and spitefulness, or what we might call wrath, are the three great vices of the seven deadly sins. Hmm. And these are the vices of those who really... Are not converted. These are people who are not, have not submitted and turned to God. So he's really talking about conversion here. He's. I think we need to be clear on that. He's talking to readers. He doesn't. I don't. Again, I don't know the context. Um, I think this was to church people. But remember, this is the Church of England. So, (laughs) Uh, well, and that would apply to any church church audience. Uh, as, a, as Saint Augustine says, uh, the wheat and the tares are mixed together in the church. Um, so only God knows who's, who's going to end up where at the end of the day. Um, and Lewis is certainly an Augustinian in that respect. He's not taking for granted that just because someone goes to church that they've actually given their life to God. And so the kicker there is that very last sentence, Mm-hmm. The matter is serious. Let, our put our, let us put ourselves in His hand at once. And so the choice is between, between faith, hope, and love, or pride, envy, and wrath. Right? Those that—that that is the fork in the road. Mm. So I do think he's talking here uh, about um, people who are on the fence. <laughs> uh, he's. This is kind of an altar call here at the end of his essay. <laughs> see, that's how I read it. Um, um, Lewis is working with these classic medieval mm-hmm. notions of the seven theological vir- virtues and the seven deadly sins. Um, and in that kind of taxonomy of sin, these these three he mentions envy self-centeredness and spite those are kind of contemporary versions of pride, envy, and wrath. Um, that that is a description of the unconverted unregenerate person right does that yeah. help? Um, hmm um so so in augustine's famous work the city of god which again i think it's fair to say this is lewis's perspective lewis lewis isn't making stuff up he's drawing on the great tradition um we are all headed in, to one place or another we're all headed to some destination either the city of god or the city of man either heaven or hell and that's essentially the division of the human race. Now, we might switch tracks, right, by the grace of God, um, uh, or by the, you know, by the cussedness, that's a term I grew up with in the American West, the <laughs> cussedness of our own character, we might switch tracks. And Lewis is not a once saved, always saved kind of um, theologian, right? Um, uh, so we, we, but let's set that aside. Uh, his point here is that if, if we're not surrendering ourselves to God, then we are, as it were, bound for hell. Um, and that really is a stark choice for. for so, so the point is, these aren't minor matters, right? These aren't minor matters. These are grave matters, uh, uh, no pun intended. Although I think he might, <laughs> might say that himself. Does he say that? No, maybe that's just me says something about it being very serious uh, the matter is serious that we can nurture hellish character or we can nurture heavenly character and and um, of course if we're seeking in faith and repentance to grow in grace then of course by the grace of god we don't need to be afraid and i don't think we should read lewis that way you know like i might by accident end up in hell He's talking about intention, a, a kind of committed direction of our lives. Um, I don't know if that is that helpful, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Did you want to follow up on, on the hell question or. Um... No, that's great. So I've laid all questions to rest there. Yes, that's absolutely. <laughs> the final word
0: for all time. That's right. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, Lewis on hell is interesting. I, I don't think Lewis in any way is diverging from. Well, that's a good... I mean, there is the whole thing with the Kalorman, right? Um, Mm. uh, There in the last battle, and that's always troubles people. Um, I don't think Lewis posits that we might have an opportunity to um, repent after this life is over. I don't don't believe he believed that. Um, But he certainly believes that the choices we make now profoundly determine... Well, you know, or shape the direction of our lives, as I've been saying. So mm-hmm. They're not. They're not minor right. matters. Regarding the the abstaining from all thinking about others' faults, I do think mm-hmm. this is really important. It, you know, um, this is spiritual discipline. Um, in a mm-hmm. sense, what Lewis is talking about in this whole essay is kind of unpacking Jesus' uh, parable of the, the, lo- the speck in our brother's eye and the log in our own eye, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying, yeah. you know, why are you so worried about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got this huge plank? in your own, uh, take the pl- first attend to the plank in your own eye. And, and the other parable I thought of when I was reflecting on this earlier was the unforgiving debtor, the, the man who owes this impossible amount of money and his, hmm. the, the Lord or King or whoever he owes it to forgives the debt. Yet he refuses to forgive, uh, the, the, uh, the very minor debt that some, that his friend owes to him. Um, but, but, but when it comes to abstaining from all thinking about other people's faults, um, he says, unless your duties as a teacher or parent make it necessary to think about them. I wish he hadn't put that in there. Cause then that gives me, yeah. <laughs> it gives all parents an out, but, that but, but I do think it's really important that, this is a, a area of spiritual discipline uh, this whole this whole topic could be called the crucifixion of the flesh right that's what mm-hmm. yeah the or or the old way of putting it is the mortification of the flesh the dying to our fallen sinful inclinations and this is, is and these kind of intentional practices of saying no <laughs> If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it from you, says the Lord. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. He's being metaphorical there, you know, obviously. But if there's an aspect of our lives that is is leading us into sin, then then our Lord and Lewis both here are saying, we got to say no to these things, right? And there's a there's a commitment to exercising a self-discipline there of when that thought comes into our mind, we repudiate it. Hmm. Um, You know, um, and this is a part of what we might call classical spiritual discipline. Um, How do we how do we take every thought captive, as Paul says? Um, So. I don't think we should skip by this, especially in light of our theme of Lent here, uh, that this is a a really important point that Lewis is stressing. So just as uh, we talked about addictions earlier, just as we might be tempted by some besetting sin or addiction, and we have to learn, if we're going to be free from it, we do have to learn the discipline of whenever that thought arises, we reject it, we say no to it. Um, So too, this kind of pattern I think is very important especially in Lent Uh, whether it's judging our neighbor or some other you know ungodly thought or temptation Um, anyway I just wanted to comment on that before we were done Uh, um, it's a it's a basic you know it's kind of cognitive cognitive behavioral spiritual therapy (laughs) it's
0: that perfect gray zone between all those disciplines (laughs) that's right i do I, I found myself recently um when it comes to the sins of others um you know the way that that it's can be obvious how other people are bringing you know in small ways hell on earth rather than heaven on earth right um, right you know the good news is is that i don't live in a place or relate to people who do bring too much hell to earth um it's quite the opposite usually but i do find you know you you brought up the the verse and i think we referred to it in our our last uh Our last discussion, actually, that um, the verse of the plank in the eye and the speck and how I have found I have an easier time identifying the specks of, let's say, oak in my brother's eye when I have a plank of oak in my own, which is to say that I, I more readily can suss out people's BS when I am shoveling it. (laughs) Um, I, I notice, you know, you, you mentioned impatience. I feel people's impatience when I am impatient. Right. I, I feel, um, I notice people's codependency when I have been codependent myself with others and, and that there becomes a sensitivity to that. And, um, I, so I actually have, you know, lately, Ah, um, reflecting on Lewis, have found that other, the ways that others have irritated me have actually led me, rather than just greater awareness of their sins to greatest awareness of my own, or their own shortcomings, rather, not necessarily sin. Um, and, and that then is an opportunity that at the end of that you know, you talked about the, the altar call that he gives at the end. It's an opportunity for us to embrace grace, and therefore the hope of either change or reconciliation to the fact that this isn't something that the Holy Spirit wants to change. This is something that is just innate to who we are. Amen. And um, either way, kind of finding some healing there. So, um, so yeah, I, I appreciate that you brought that out. Yeah,
2: thanks. And th- that's great what you, what you just said about healing and reconciliation. I mean, that's what's interesting about Lewis is, and I, I don't see this as a failing, but oftentimes his way of describing things, and you see it here, can be very kind of about one's internal thought processes. Uh, but I but and so he doesn't talk here about how how do we then go to our loved one and seek their forgiveness or achieve reconciliation on those points. And I, I think it it would be helpful if he could have unpacked it a little more uh, to talk about. Okay. What actions? Yes, we take actions about our own, our own thought life. But what actions might we ought to take, by extension, in our relationships, right, with with other people, um, so that that there can be healing, there can be reconciliation. Um, and maybe this is because he was, a you know, confirmed bachelor for decades, or. <laughs> a big brain on a stick, you know, <laughs> I, I yeah. but, but he is very much a contemplative and that that's kind of the style in which he approaches things in terms of correcting the way one thinks. Um, and I, and it's not so much a critique as I, th- I think we can take what Lewis has said here and we can extend the implications into how, how might we actually, again, with our Lenten theme, take this sage advice and use it as a basis for conversation, for asking for forgiveness on the part of those we need to.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's great. You brought up those two, um, those two parables, the one about the log in the eye and the other, the parable of the debtor, because um, the log in the eye really applies to um, all three of the essays we're doing during Lent Uh, especially miserable offenders in this one. And then the parable of the debtor is a lot about forgiveness. And the next essay that we'll be doing next time is Lewis's on forgiveness. So it's a
2: perfect lead in
1: to uh, (laughs) what
2: comes out next week. Yeah. It it is stunning. Again, thinking about this essay, it's another example of his, I, I don't honestly know of a, contemporary writer who can match Lewis in his kind of um, discernment of human character. You, There's plenty of devotional material out there that speaks of, you know, the spiritual life, spiritual disciplines. There's plenty of stuff out there, but in terms of, hmm. you know, kind of turning a laser, <laughs> a laser eye to the ways we deceive ourselves and, um, especially self deception. I think. I don't know about you guys. I can't think of anyone who, who can equal Lewis when it comes to that.
0: Yeah. No.
1: And I think, I think uh, there's. I can't remember where he said it. Maybe in a letter, one of his letters. But he just said that he. Oh, I think someone asked him about, asked him after he wrote the screw tape letters, if he had been in touch with demonic forces or something like that. And he said he just wrote, he knew his own heart. And right. He just wrote what was in his heart. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of what, why that is. He just was so self-reflective and knew, knew what was in his heart.
2: The confessions of St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it is, it is funny. I, I did find myself wondering why did he, why did he seize upon being ill-tempered and a drunkard mm-hmm. as his examples? Mm-hmm know (laughs) of himself i because every now and then he says these things that are kind of self-disclosing and i you know Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean he certainly enjoyed alcohol um Mm -hmm. so i i don't think he was an alcoholic but maybe he knew he would he drank more than Mm -hmm. he should um yeah well his his
1: brother was an alcoholic so that might be ah, right right. maybe his brother maybe he's the ill-tempered
2: and warny was yeah yeah that's a good i'd forgotten about that his brother being an alcoholic um that's that's really interesting.
1: Joel, is there anywhere listeners can go to learn more about you or if if you have any oh books or speaking engagements, courses that people could take if they're sure, looking to take stuff?
2: Yeah, my uh, faculty page at tsm.edu, mm-hmm. if you look for faculty, you can find me there and books that I've written, I've done some writing on Doctrine of Creation and Doctrine of the Atonement. Um, I, I think I mentioned the, um, the Catechism that I worked on with Dr. Packer. I don't have my own web page. I, I guess I'm too old to have, <laughs> to have a blog of my own. So um, I've done uh, Just Let a Retreat this last, uh, last month on... Um, Faith, hope, and love in *The Lord of the Rings* that uh, wow. went really well, and um, yeah. that's I've done quite a bit on a theology, Tolkien's theology in his in his fiction um, and his whole mythology of Middle Earth. So, if people were interested in uh, me speaking on something, I I could very happily uh, do that some more. So, if you guys ever decide to slum it with Tolkien and do a throwaway episode. Uh, I, You know, it would be just as a suggestion, it would be fun to talk about Lewis's relationships with some of the inklings. Uh, I've read a lot of Charles Williams as well. Fascinating oh. guy.
0: We will certainly make a note about that. That is pretty appealing. We'll have yep. to make a note there. I see Jordan already is.
2: Uh, you know, Lewis and Tolkien, and this might be an interesting topic, but one of their ongoing points of conversation is the relationship between the true story of scripture and the, the, the real world and uh, what we might call myth, um, mythopoetics, the making of myths, the telling of myths. And it was actually a conversation between Tolkien and Lewis, as you probably know, on this subject that led Lewis to become a, become a Christian. And Tolkien actually wrote a poem about that uh, called Mythopoeia, in which he references that conversation, because Lewis says that, uh, uh, while still an unbeliever, he said, myths are lies breathed through silver. And Tolkien said, no. (laughs) there are elements of the true story that come through all myths and, and, and we can glean in good, good stories. The one true story that has found its ultimate statement in the story of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's a fascinating point of conversation. Um, uh, so if any of your listeners are interested um, that, that poem you can readily find online mythopoeia, but um it's long and complicated, so a podcast might might help. Well,
1: uh, we might as well choose now. I don't <laughs> think we've announced this on the podcast, but our third season, uh, which will be starting this summer, is going to be on myth and metaphor, and oh, we're wow. going to be doing we're going to be covering Lewis's essays that have to do with myth, metaphor, and a little bit of epistemology and Zenzoct, and then. Oh, great. Uh, and then we're gonna get into essays that he wrote about writing that have to do with myth, and many of which have to do with uh, Tolkien's books and maybe some Charles Williams. So we will be uh, we'll be coming back to you when that might not be until uh, praise the Lord might be around this time 2024. But uh, sure, we'll, we'll be yeah. in touch for sure. Yeah.
2: That would, that would be fun. I'd, I'd really enjoy that.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks again so much, Joel. This has been a blast.
2: God bless you guys.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of The Trouble with X. We'd like to thank our guest, Joel Skandret, for joining us to talk about this essay. If you'd like to get a hold of Joel or find some of the resources that Joel has written, I will put a link to Joel's faculty page in the show notes. Joel is a wonderful communicator and teacher of the gospel, as you can tell from this episode, so I highly recommend anything that he writes or getting him in as a speaker. Again, we wanted to thank David Strovey for performing the music for this episode. Links to Dave's music can be found in the show notes as well, as can links to this essay or next week's essay if you want to read ahead or listen ahead. There's an audio version of it on YouTube. Next week's essay being On Forgiveness. And next week, we will have with us our guest, William O'Flaherty from the All About Jack podcast. I'm very excited for all of you to hear that episode. But until then,
0: as you meditate on this lesser-known Lewis work this week, we pray that it would be Jesus who would become more well-known.
3: Yeah.